have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to John chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. The Lord Jesus has already died upon the cross of Calvary. He's already drank the cup of the wrath of Almighty God that all of my sins deserved and all of your sins deserved. He had suffered much at the hands of men, but it paled in comparison the punishment that he took upon himself for our sins. He's already risen from the dead in power and great glory. But the disciples don't believe it. Uh, the faithful women that followed him uh, do not yet understand it. And we pick up where Mary, it says, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. Peter and John have already come to the empty tomb, but they've left to go back to their home, but Mary just won't leave. And she stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. See, a two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And when she had thus said, or they, and they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord. And I know not where they have laid. Notice that she doesn't say the Lord, she says my Lord. What a special fellowship him and Mary had. When she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou had borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them I send unto my father and your father and to my God and your God Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her we see this sweet and beautiful scene where Mary so much wanting to be with the Lord and to see the Lord is blessed to see she didn't know who he was till he called her Mary I'm reminded of what it says in John chapter 10 of the shepherd 
that calleth his own sheep by name. When she heard her name, Mary, she knew it was the Lord. That's the voice of my shepherd. That's the voice of the one that I came desiring to see. Mary begins to cling to the Lord. And the Lord Jesus said, touch me not, for I'm not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Now there's some erroneous thoughts about this verse out of the denominational world that I've heard a few times in my life, and, and that is that the Lord was telling Mary, don't touch me because you may taint me. Don't touch me because you may pollute me. For I've not yet ascended to my Father. And there's a notion that there was some secret ascension unto the Father and Jesus would go to the Father and then would come back and appear to his disciples before we see that very visible and glorious ascension there in Acts chapter one. Um, I'd like to prove that those thoughts are not right. And that's not what the Lord's saying. Uh, when he said, touch me not, that word touch literally means to fasten. It means to cling to. Uh, I can't help but think about this word, word without thinking about it. And when I take something out of the dryer, or usually it's Sister Emily taking something out of the dryer, and there's a sock that's just stuck to my shirt or my pants. We call that static cling. That's a simpler meaning. One of the meanings of this word touch is to literally cling to. And the Lord's telling her, you can't keep clinging, clinging to me because I will ascend unto the Father. I will leave your presence bodily. But to cast away this notion that Jesus could somehow be polluted, I want to take our minds to a couple of different scriptures. In Matthew chapter 9, the Lord Jesus would come across a leper. And the leper would say, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus responded and said, I will be thou clean. And the Lord Jesus touched that leper and healed him. Now, if that had been Mark Quarles touching the leper, under the Levitical law, that would have made me unclean. That would have polluted me. But not the Lord Jesus. He could not be polluted in any way. He's totally holy, totally righteous, and totally could not be polluted. In the very next chapter, I believe that was Matthew 8. I think I said 9. In the very next chapter, Matthew chapter 9, we'll see where a woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years comes to the Lord Jesus and there's a throng of people around him. She says to herself, if I could just but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. She said, if I can just touch him, just 
the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And she touched him and she was cleansed from that very hour. The Bible tells us she had spent all that she had of the physicians and, and was not better, but rather grew worse. If any other man had been touched by that woman with an issue of blood, again, according to Levitical law, they'd have been unclean, but not the Lord. So we see different times where what would have made another man unclean could not pollute the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Uh, we see an emblem of that. The Lord Jesus is called the capital L Light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world, John 1 would say. Light is one of the rare things that cannot be polluted. And the Lord's the capital L light. You say, may say, Brother Mark, sometimes I see the sun light coming through the window and I see all kind of dust particles. Is that not the light being polluted? No, that's the light manifesting the pollutants in the air. But the light itself is pure and cannot be polluted. So this notion that don't touch me, Mary, because you may pollute me is, is wrong. The notion that Jesus would have some kind of a secret ascension and then come back before he ever manifested himself to the disciples would be wrong. We can prove that by going to Hebrews chapter 9. The very last verse of that chapter. And I want us to notice as I read these verses, there's two different words that represent numbers in this verse. And, and both of them are extremely important. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now, how important is that first once? Christ was once offered. The Lord Jesus was only offered once because when he offered himself upon the cross of Calvary, he got the job done. He finished the work and it never had to be done again because he got the job done. He finished it. He washed us with his own precious blood and he separated our sins as far from us as the east is from the west and it would never be undone. He was once offered. Now that's a pretty important once. But I'm gonna tell you the second time the word second is used here later in this verse. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. That word second's important too. Doesn't say that the Lord Jesus would come to this earth and would go back and then come back and go back and come back. And by that I mean bodily, visibly. Said he came once here bodily. He came once here visibly in his first coming as he was born in that manger in Bethlehem. And what a tremendous thing that is that God, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 talks about great 
is the mystery of godliness. Now, sometimes we think of mysteries as, and mystery just means something that's hidden. And when we usually think about a mystery in this world, we think about something bad. We think about a crime that's been committed and, and it's hidden and the police and investigators are trying to figure out what happened. We think of that as a mystery, but a mystery doesn't have to be something bad. It's just something that's hidden. And the apostle Paul in writing unto the young preacher Timothy would say, great is the mystery of godliness. A wonderful mystery, a glorious mystery, something that had been hidden, but is now manifest. Great is the mystery of godliness. He's going to mention several things, but the first thing he's going to mention is God manifest in the flesh. What a tremendous thing that was when the Lord Jesus would be conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And for the first time ever, when the Lord Jesus was born, people would see God manifest in the flesh. That God would be here bodily and would literally walk upon the earth. Mary and Joseph were blessed to see Those shepherds were blessed to see Those wise men from the east were blessed to see And I'll tell you, Mary had been blessed to see She walked along the hills of Galilee. And she, her fellowship with the Lord was something very sweet. And she had been with the Lord in his physical presence as he bodily walked upon the face of this earth. He was manifested. And he would only go back to heaven bodily once and come back once, which would be the second time. So he came the first time when he was born in a manger in Bethlehem then he would ascend unto the Father once, bodily, visibly, there in Acts 1. And he would come back once. That's what Hebrews 9, he shall appear the second time. Not the third time, not the fourth time. The second time without sin unto salvation. So there was no secret ascension of the Lord. His soul and spirit went to be with the Lord in heaven. But his body went to that tomb and he was raised again. And now Mary's blessed to see him. But when he tells her, touch me not, he's not saying, don't touch me, you may pollute me. He's saying, don't cling to me, Mary. I'm going to leave, I am going to ascend, and I'm going to bodily ascend. You can't cling to me because I'm going to be going away from a bodily standpoint. He said, go to my brethren and say unto them, I send unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. Now that's an interesting thing that the Lord Jesus said because sometimes he would say our father. 
like when he gave the model prayer, our father, meaning he's my father and he's your father. And he's still saying that this time, but he's using different words because he says, I sinned unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. And I really think he's pointing back to what he did on the cross. He, if you look at all the gospel accounts, you'll see where the Lord said seven different things on the cross of Calvary. I'm going to just get two of them. One of the things the Lord Jesus, as he was drinking that cup, that my sins deserved and that your sins deserved, and he was suffering the punishment of an eternity in hell for all the elect family of God in those six hours upon the cross. He made this statement, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he used that term that he used here, my God. I believe the last thing the Lord Jesus said upon the cross, the next to last thing, I guess I'm going to go to three things he said <laughs> on the cross instead of just two. The next to the last thing he said was, it is finished. Mm-hmm. Meaning the work of redemption is complete. I've done what the Father sent me to do. All that the Father gave with me, they are eternally saved and I have taken away their sins. That's what he came to the world to do. That's what the angel told Joseph. For he shall save his people from their sins. The angel said, Joseph, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, which means Savior. For he shall save his people from their sins. Didn't say he'd try to save them. Said he shall save them. It didn't say he would save them if we let him save us. It just said he shall save us. And then the last thing he said upon the cross after it is finished, he said, Father, Father. He had just referred to him as my God. My God. Now he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. His spirit would immediately go to the Father when the Lord breathed his last breath. His body would go into that barred tomb. He didn't need it long. And he uses that same word here. My God. My father. I sinned unto my father. But because of what I did on the cross, he's your father. And to my God, because of what I've done for you, he's your God. And Mary goes and she takes that good news the best news that there could be that she had seen the Lord. She had seen the risen Christ 
And Mary's heart cry, I think, the same heart cry that ours would have been, just clinging to the Lord. Lord, don't leave. Lord, just stay with me. And she's clinging to the feet of the Lord. But the Lord tells her, Mary, I'm still going to be with you, but it's going to be in a different way. You're not going to be able to physically cling to my feet as you're doing now, but we'll still have sweet fellowship, but it'll be in a different way. Amen. The Lord Jesus would kind of describe the way it would be. Well, let me go to let me go to this verse first. Right after the Lord Jesus ascended, you might think that the disciples would have been in despondency because he's gone into heaven bodily. But it shows very plainly at the end of the book of Mark. By the way, if you look in the modern translations, the end of the book of Mark is not there. These verses are taken out. Um, there's numerous scriptures removed from the modern translations of the Bible and the latter part of the book of Mark is one of those places. So Mark chapter 16 and verse 19, so then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven. He ascended into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere. Listen to this, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following amen and that's the end of the book of Mark so you may say brother Mark I thought he just ascended to heaven but it says the Lord working with them yes he bodily ascended into heaven but he's still with the disciples he's still with his church it's just not bodily well, how is it? Well, let's go to a couple of places. Uh, and I'll try to do this succinctly. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Second Corinthians chapter 9. Wait a minute, maybe 1 Corinthians chapter 9. That's not what I'm looking for. seen nor ear heard and I, I'm in the wrong place. Second Corinthians 2. I went <laughs> thank you brother John Mark because I want to really want to read this. 
1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2. Alright, verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard. He said these physical eyes are not going to see it. These physical ears are not going to hear it. Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And what knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we may know the things that are freely given to us of God. Now he's telling us here that you're not going to fellowship with me while you're still here on this earth with these physical eyes and these physical ears, but it's going to be a spiritual matter through the Holy Spirit of God. In John chapter 14, as the Lord Jesus is comforting his disciples, he said, I'm going to send my spirit to you. And he called that spirit the comforter. And then he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And he would come in his spirit and in the Holy Spirit of God. In Romans chapter 8, he talks about us having the spirit of Christ within us. In Colossians chapter 1 or 2, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In 2 Peter, Peter would write in 2 Peter chapter 1 that we have been made partakers of the divine nature. All of this is saying is Christ is in us and the spirit of Christ is in us and the spirit of Christ is with us. I have not seen nor ear heard neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit so we can still fellowship with him. We can still feel his presence. We can even, we do have Christ in us, the hope of glory, but it's in a different way. So the Lord's telling Mary, Lord, Mary, don't cling to my feet. I'll still be with you. It'll be in a different way. And the Lord's still with us today. Since which things we also speak, not with the words which man's Wisdom teaching. <laughs> you know what will run a business in the world will not run the church of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Man's wisdom doesn't do it. That's why when the Lord tells us we have preaching, praying, and singing, and nothing else, don't add to it any auxiliaries of man. Don't add to it any of the good ideas of man that may, may be found in the world. It's not with man's wisdom. But with the whole, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, 
comparing spiritual things with spiritual. You do what I've given you to do, the spiritual things, not manly things, not earthly things. And then that verse that we quote so much, but the natural man receiving not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. We can have sweet fellowship with the Lord and feel his presence and through an eye of faith and an ear of faith, see his presence through an eye of faith, hear his voice through an ear of faith and still have sweet fellowship with him. And I'll close with what it says in 1 John 1, where the disciples themselves convey this wonderful news. John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. He means that literally. We heard him with these physical ears. We saw him with these physical eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. He was able to lean on the Lord's breast at supper just like Mary was able to cling to his feet. For the life was manifest and we've seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Notice he didn't say we used to have fellowship with him when we walked with him on Galilee. Now we don't even. He said, no, we still got fellowship. The word fellowship means a sharing together. It means a communi uh, communing together or the same Greek word rendered fellowship is also rendered in the King James Bible communion. It's a sharing together. It's a partaking together. Uh, and it comes really from a root word to communicate. We can still communicate with the Lord. Amen. In his church, he communicates with us. He fellowships with us. We feel his presence. But you know, I just don't want to feel him when we're gathered together as the saints of God, and there's no substitute for that. If you think there's a substitute for meeting together in the house of God and worshiping him as a congregation in spirit and in truth, there is no substitute for that. And we can feel the fellowship of the Lord, I believe, more sweetly and closely than at any other time. But I don't want to just fellowship with him on Sunday mornings. We have the sweet blessing of prayer. We talk to the Lord and he burdens our hearts in prayer. Where we read the word of God, which is the Lord speaking to us. We sing that song, thy word is a lamp under my feet. We need light in this old dark world and he'll go on to say that the closer we are to the Lord, the closer we are to the capital L light, the more we're going to feel that sweet fellowship with him. We can still do as Mary did and cling to our Lord. 
It's just not a physical bodily cleaning. It's with the Holy Spirit of God. But how many times have we been blessed to feel his presence ever near and through faith feel like we were right at his feet like Mary The Lord's still with us. He's still with his church. And we in a spiritual way can sing through eyes of faith, hearing through ears of faith, and fill after him with the feeling of faith. He's not left us. We can still feel his presence till that day when he without sin shall return the second time. And we'll be with him, body, soul, and spirit. And these old sinful eyes that couldn't bear to look upon him in all his glory now. These eyes will be made perfect and we'll be able to see him with these eyes. Job saw that. We'll be able to hear him with these ears that are made perfect. One sweet day, these hands that have done so many sinful things. They'll be made perfect and we'll be able to embrace him again. Heaven and Lord of Lords. God bless you, my prayer. Come in. I'll firm my foundation. go somewhere in concert where Brother Mark went, um, but this is just to get a jumping off point to where, Lord willing, we're going to go today. Um, our brother spake to us on the ascension of Christ and the uh, need for us to know that there was only two appearings of Christ. There will only be two appearings of Christ. But at the end, right there, he touched on something that's very critical in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, his work was not only to die for our sins, to redeem the elect family of God as the eternal work that he set out to do. Now, that is the major thing that he did, and that is the biggest thing that we look to. That is where our joy is found. But he also came up here, child of God, to set up the church, to set up a kingdom that shall not be moved, to have him as the rock of which the church would be built on, of which the gates of hell would never prevail. Child of God, that is you. That is you sitting right here in this church right now. You are upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You can't have a church without Jesus Christ. If Jesus is set away from the church, you don't have a church anymore. We can put all the inventions of man in there. We can do everything that we would need to run a business in this world. But if Jesus is not a part of it, that kingdom will fall. And that kingdom is not his kingdom if he is not there. Amen. We want to go to 2 Peter chapter chapter 1. It's just a jumping off place this morning. This isn't where our thoughts are contained, really. 
But we want to go here to bring out a point that our brother so ably brought out. It says here in verse 17, Peter is alluding to the Mount of Transfiguration, which he saw with, Peter, with um, James and John, his disciples. This amazing sight that was never seen before. Jesus was literally transfigured in front of him. His visage was changed, and he was, in a sense, glorified in front of him. And you think about the miracle that it took for these natural eyes to see Jesus in that way. But here's what verse 17 says in 2 Peter 1. He says, For he received from God the Father, that means Jesus, God the Father, honor and glory, when there came such a voice from him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus was always, had um, God the Father well pleased in him. There was no separation of their wills, you understand. Jesus always did everything the way that God the Father would have him to do in exactly the manner that he wanted it done. And he said, and this voice in verse 18, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now, I'm going to ask you this, child of God, how much confidence do you have in the words that you have heard with these natural ears? When we were sitting here and hearing Brother Mark proclaim the wondrous gospel, how much confidence did you have in the fact that you were hearing what he said? I'm sure Peter had that too. He saw Jesus transfigured with these natural eyes. He heard him with his natural ears. It's a memory for him. It's one of the best memories I'm sure that Peter ever had. But, G but Peter says something here. That is critical for us in the New Testament church. That's critical for us in our life of faith as children of God. He said, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Where is that? It's encased in the Lord's word. This is set in stone, a city that shall not be moved. The word of God is quick and powerful. Well, that's Jesus Christ himself. That's the living word. It's not this word right here, but the word of God is sure. It's not to be moved. And we understand that this is even more sure a word of prophecy than what we would hear with our natural ears because you can't change this. It's important that we understand that. It's important that we take this for the template of our lives. It's not only for our healing, it's for our service of God. Let's turn with that in mind to Isaiah chapter 55. This is the place where um, we would have to speak to you this morning. Isaiah chapter 55 um, is a wonderful picture of the New Testament church um, and how that the church in its entirety is the only way that you can feed a child of God. Um, this weekend, um, we had a little bit of food at my house after I graduated, and I'll tell you what, that food fed me very well naturally, but what it could not do is feed my soul. It could not feed my spirit. It is an inability for natural food to feed the spiritual man. Child of God, Jesus Christ did not set up his church to feed your flesh. He did not set up his church to feed you in a natural way. He set up his church purely, entirely, and exclusively to feed your spiritual man. That was that creation that he put inside of you in the new birth. And that's what this chapter is talking about here. It's talking about the necessity that we need spiritual food to feed a spiritual creation. That can come from no other place than down from heaven, from Jesus Christ himself. Coming to you through the Holy Spirit of God, speaking to you in your hearts here in this time world. Um, I've never done this before. 
And I know that scares Brother Mark me saying this, but I'm going to tell a story right here, and I hope it's something that's applicable to our situation here. Eleven years ago, to this last October, I had something happen in my life that I had never happened before. Um, it was the first time on a Saturday afternoon where I was hearing the Word of God preached that I felt like I felt the Holy Spirit in a real and in a precious way. And it was nothing short of being described of overwhelming. I, it was not a particularly just gripping message. Um, the minister was just simply preaching on Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I would heard those words before, but I'd never heard them like this. It spoke to my soul. It spoke to me in my heart. And I knew at that point of an surety that Jesus came and he died for me. And I'm going to tell you something, child of God, just because I don't have the words of angels, just because this doesn't sound that flashy in a physical term does not mean it is not accompanied by the power of God. The Apostle Paul was accused of being rude in speech because he was very simply putting these forward. But it wasn't by his own power. It wasn't by his own sufficiency. He had no agenda except for what the Lord had given him. That is important to know, child of God. The gospel is preached in simplicity and in truth because it is beautiful on its own. It has this simplicity and it's beautiful because it's simple and Jesus has delivered it to us. Amen. Since that point, I was baptized that Sunday, by the way. Um, it, didn't, it didn't take too long. It took me about 24 hours. Um, I, couldn't wait. I couldn't wait that long. Um, since then, there's a lot that's happened in my life. I have fallen to sins, fallen into sins. I've needed to repent of many things that I've done. I have felt the Spirit of the Lord many more times. I've been in His house day in and day out. And I will tell you this, child of God, as just one young person to another, one person to another, you will not always hold this how you should hold it. I'm evidence of that. I did not always acknowledge th this as the most precious thing in my life, but that does not mean that it wasn't. I've understood right now, and, I'm, and I feel that this is the same way. The church of the living God and the service of Jesus Christ and worship to him is the most important thing in my life. It is worth more than anything else in my life. I don't care if it's money. I don't care if it's fame. I don't care if it's achievements that you have. This place, the church of Jesus Christ, is worth more than all of that. And I'm... I feel, I feel bad even saying this because y'all are much wiser than I am, but please take my advice. It is the most important thing in your life. It is worth more than anything that we could ever muster up. And for that reason, we should take heed to what it is. Amen. Isaiah chapter 55, reading verses 1 through 4, it says this. And I will try to take as little time as possible being timely in this. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently. That means here with the intent of being able to repeat it back. We are not just learning this in the concept of we're hearing it in one ear out the other. You're going to need to be able to repeat it. You're going to be able to need to give an answer 
um, of the faith that is within you, the hope that is within you with meekness and in fear. He says, hearken diligently unto me and eat ye that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me here and your soul shall live and I will make unto you an everlasting covenant with you even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. This word starting out, ho everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. Everyone that thirsts, child of God, is a child of God. A child of God does not gain the spirit of God. He does not gain that light within him by simply going after something and displaying a symptom. What is a symptom of a disease? It's something that's evidence that that disease is within them. Now, being a born-again child of God is nothing short of disease, but this is a symptom of someone who is a child of God. You cannot believe without the Spirit of God. You wouldn't thirst for spiritual things unless you were a child of God. You would not hunger for the food that comes from God unless you were a child of God. Think about David in Psalms chapter 41, 42 and in verse 1. He says, As the heart panteth, even so panteth my soul after thee, O God, my soul thirsteth for thee in a dry and thirsty land. David had a thirst for God. Now, some might say that Samuel came up and preached the gospel to him or said, hey, David, you know, this law that is within, that is, you know, you're supposed to follow here. That is what gives you this life. And you're going to get life if you actually hear this law and abide by it. That's not how it happened. We don't have to look any further than Psalms chapter 22, the mouth of David himself writing in verse 9. He says, thou madest me to hope. While I was on my mother's breast, hope is an evidence of that which is within you. It's an evidence of the life which Christ Jesus has given you. And from that point on, even when David was not able to believe, he was not able to even say anything like I'm speaking to you right now. Before he had natural senses to communicate anything, he hoped. It was a feeling. It was an expectation. It was something that he didn't even understand, but yet he had it. How does the Lord communicate with us? But just that way. Maybe it's not always something that we can actually give and display to you. Maybe it's a full-grown person that has been born of the Spirit of God, but they have not been communicated to that Jesus was the one that made them feel the way that they have, and they can't display it to you. They can't talk to you about it, but they know of a feeling. Child of God, feelings are important. Do you feel love from God? Do you feel that He is your Savior? John, 1 John chapter 5 and 1 tells you that you are born of God, that you are a child of God. And because you are a child of God, you are thirsty. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 says, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That hunger is of God. That thirst is from God. Why are you blessed? You don't have to go any further than Ephesians chapter 3 and in verse 1 where it says, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath what? Blessed 
us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one that blessed you with those spiritual faculties. Jesus is the one that blessed you with that light that manifests forth, that gives you the convictions when you sin, that gives you the hope of glory, that makes you want to get as close to Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, as you possibly can. He is the one that makes you hunger. And here the Isaiah says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. Yea, he that hath no money, come ye and buy. The gospel, child of God, is free. It's nothing that you can actually merit yourself to give it. And the gospel is more than just the actual words that I'm, te- that I'm trying to say to you right now. It's the feeling of God welling up inside of you and the Holy Spirit delivering that. You see, Pentecost would have been just words to all of those, what is it, 13 languages of people that were there. But with the Holy Spirit, it was power. There was no question what they were hearing. It was the message of God brought to them by God. I can't give you this message. I can give you natural food and I can feed you that way, but I cannot give you spiritual food. It must come down from glory. It must come down from heaven because it's God himself communicating with you. That's why it's so amazing that the gospel is preached by man because man by himself could never do it. This gospel is without without price. Our brother quoted to us a wonderful verse about that, talking about the free gift given unto you. Now, Romans 5 and 15 talks about that, too, even as the free gift that was given to you, talking about that new man that is inside of you. You didn't do anything to merit that. You couldn't pay for your spirit inside of you. But I'm going to tell you something else. Something else is free. And the apostle Paul ascribed to make that free in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 when it says, What is my reward then that I may preach the gospel without charge? You can't buy the Spirit of God in regeneration. You can't buy the Spirit of God in the service of God. Jesus must come down and He must deliver it to you. He said, come buy milk and wine without money and without price. And how precious is that food, child of God? How preciously should we go after that? I'm going to tell you, between this time of when I was 10 years old and now I've gone after a lot of things. I've gone after money. I've gone after pleasures. I've gone after everything that I thought was going to satisfy me. And that is nothing short of deception. That is not food. That is not drink. The verse says it right after this. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which satisfieth not the prodigal son found that when he left the father's house he left all the riches that were there he left all the food he left all the love that god that he his father had for him and i'm going to tell you what child of god just because you leave the folds of the church just because you leave the place where your faith is brightest it does not mean that god loves you any less he loves you just the same because if it was ever about your works you never would have got it in the first place it says in romans 8 and 35 who shall separate us from the love of god i'm going to tell you no one can separate you from the love of god even if it was yourself The prodigal son did not separate himself from the love of the father, but he found himself eating the husk of the swine. He found himself paying for that which could not satisfy. Your works will not satisfy you, child of God. This money that's in this world will not satisfy you. I don't care how crazy it is. My thing that really satisfies me in life and satisfies my flesh is working out, eating, learning about all of that. It doesn't mean it's bad to go to those those things, but that's not what satisfies your spirit. 
We don't cling to those things that satisfy our flesh, no matter how good they are in the world, no matter how bad they are in the world. We cling in the house of God to spiritual things because you can't feed a spiritual creation without the spirit. That's why we don't have pianos in here. That's why we don't have a structured system that we give to Brother Mark over there that says you have to preach through all of these things. And if you divvy from that, well, the hireling gets unhired. That's something that we need to think about. If you can hire a hireling, you can unhire him. But I will tell you something that is so wonderful about the minister of God. He will minister to the people of God in times of toil. He will minister to them in times of tribulation. He will minister to them through persecution because God has given him his unction. God has given him that spirit of service to his people, and he will preach through anything. A hireling fleeth when the wolf comes. A minister of God, if he is taking advantage of his office and he is doing what the Lord will have him do, he does not flee. Child of God, do not get confused in the church of the living God in what is bread and what is not bread. Those things given to you by man, those things ascribed to man, those things that might even sound good to sound rationale by man, those things are not bread. Amen. I want to go to a verse in John chapter 6, and there's much more that can be said about this. But it says in John chapter 6, in verse um, 34, talking about this bread that's given to you in the New Testament church. And the disciples say, they then said unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. Is that not our heart cry? Do we not want to be filled with the bread that's from heaven? Do we not want to be filled with the Lord's spirit? Do we not want to take on the burden that is that burden on him and to cast those cares Upon him that careth for you. That is the more abundant life. That is the happiest that you will ever be in this world. I promise you that because you're pleasing your heavenly father. Verse 35. And Jesus said unto them. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. So Jesus is the center of our worship. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the one that satisfies you. And I'm not going to be able to get to it. But spoiler alert. These, the, um, the sure mercies of David are talking about the greater David. The sure mercies that he has given you through dying for your sins. And he says, I am that bread of life. I am the sure mercies of David, which David did see in his life. But it's talking about the greater David. Amen. If we move up to verse 27, he gives a disclaimer about what this bread is not. He says, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth until everlasting life. Child of God, I will leave you with this. There are some in this world that say that because the Bible did not address a certain thing, that that thing is free game to happen in the church. Whatever, whatever it may be, you all have things that you're thinking about right now. You put a label on it, that's the label that we got. But this verse refutes anything else to be had to be had in the house of God other than what has actually been said. We are not at liberty to add anything to the Lord's church. We are only at liberty to do what the black, white, and red letters say we are. 
And this is why. It says, which the Son of Man shall give you. Jesus is the foundation. He is the rock of the true church. He is what everything was built upon. And he built it all. Amen. For him hath God the Father sealed. I'm going to tell you, child of God, sometimes we fear in this life, and I've had this fear before, that maybe this service is not enough. That maybe as we see those falling away, that we need to add something to make ourselves more attractive to the church or to the people around. Not the church, sorry. At that point, we have just added bread that does not satisfy. We have labored for that which is not bread. I'm going to tell you, child of God, the best thing that we could possibly ever do in this life is have faith that Jesus Christ laid his church exactly the way that we would have to do that he would have us to do it. There is a confidence in that. There is a faith in that. I don't have confidence in myself. I don't have faith in what I would do. I've failed myself so much in things that I've meant to do. I've failed the Lord so much. I don't have the power to tell you which way that we need to go of a definite. But you know who does? The Lord has that power to lead you, to guide you in the old paths, where it is the good way, to abide in that straight and narrow way that is exactly the way that he would have you to go. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. There's not other waters. It is the waters that come from Jesus Christ, that pure river going out of the throne room of God to which satisfies our souls every day. God bless you. I love you very much. Amen.